This is KFSK News for Tuesday, November 7th. I'm Julie Hersey. From fishing to logging to mining, dangerous jobs are the engine of Alaska's economy, and the state has one of the biggest workplace fatality rates in the country. One family in Petersburg, whose only daughter was killed on the job, is trying to change Alaska's workers' compensation laws. Shelby Herbert has been following the family's journey, and she explained that the woman who died was not actually working in a dangerous position. So in the summer of 2016, there was a fatal crash that took the lives of two young women who were working for Petersburg's Parks and Recreation Department, uh, 18-year-old Molly Parks and 19-year-old Marie Giesbrecht. They were riding in a borough van to set up a race for the town's 4th of July celebration. And the driver of the van, Chris Allen, suffered a seizure and drove that van through a guardrail. He survived, but Molly and Marie died in the wreck and another passenger was injured. The thing is, Alan's supervisors were aware of his medical condition before they gave him the keys to the van. He'd had a few seizures working at the front desk. Molly Parks had no dependents, so her parents were entitled to just about $10,000, which is enough to cover funeral costs. Hmm. Okay, so, so what does this tell us about the picture of workers' comp in Alaska? So Alaska's workplace death benefits are pretty much par for the course when compared to other states. But Alaska's incident rate, which is the number of reported injuries and fatalities across the state's workforce, is significantly higher than the national average. I asked Charles Collins, the Alaska Director of Workers' Compensation, about why that is. He said that's probably a factor of the type of work performed in Alaska due to our resource development and seafood economies. But Molly was just a passenger in a regular work vehicle, right? She wasn't working a particularly unsafe job. That's right. Even though many Alaskans who die or get injured at work are performing dangerous jobs, any change to existing workers' comp law could help people who have a claim in the future. And that's what the Parks family is trying to do now. Okay, so what part of the law are they trying to change? They want to make it easier to get compensation from an employer when their negligence results in death or injury to an employee. The courts convicted the driver of the van of manslaughter, but the family lost their wrongful death lawsuit against the borough this spring. Two of the three judges on that panel ruled that the borough followed Alaska law regarding the Workers' Compensation Act on the basis that the allegations against the borough didn't meet the requirements of an intentional harm claim. So the Parks family would have to prove that the borough intended to hurt the victims of the crash, which they weren't able to do. Hmm. So what's the family's plan for legislative action? The family wants to change the state's exclusivity provision, which in the Parks family's case meant that they had to try to prove that Molly's employer meant to hurt her. The proposed legislation would change the statute to hold employers accountable if their negligence creates a situation that injures or kills an employee. This is Mark Choate, the Parks family's attorney, who's helping them bring their case to the state legislature. I think it's our responsibility to show you know, what a really wonderful young woman she was and how much she had to do and how much everyone wanted to be there when she did these things in her life. And that's all gone because there was just ridiculously bad behavior when you give uh, keys to somebody you know has an uncontrollable seizure disorder and shouldn't be driving. 
This proposed change could make it easier for the high number of Alaska workers who get hurt on the job or their next of kin to pursue damages against their employers. Got it. Okay. so what comes next? Well, the legislative session starts in mid-January and there's still a lot up in the air. I spoke with workers' comp director Charles Collins about the Parks family's idea, and he said he's seen a lot of public interest in changing Alaska workers' comp laws in the past. The family's legal team is hoping to be able to get sponsors for the bill in the State House and Senate by mid-December. And if they succeed in getting workers' comp law changed, they hope it'll be called Molly's Law. That was Shelby Herbert discussing a Petersburg family's ongoing fight to change Alaska's workers' compensation laws. Although the Wrangell Institute buildings were leveled more than a decade ago, the school's memory looms large. As the borough moves towards developing the site into housing lots, many who attended the former boarding school are still trying to cope with the trauma they experienced there, trauma that's also impacted subsequent generations of Alaska Native people. And for those who worked at the boarding schools or whose family members did, it's a heartbreaking and haunting legacy as well. Sage Smiley revisits a healing ceremony near the site that took place this fall as part of a regional Alaska Native Claim conference. And a note for listeners, this story contains details of physical abuse. It's an achingly beautiful and surprisingly sunny fall day at Shoemaker Bay Park about five miles south of downtown Wrangell. In many ways, it doesn't look like the site of a former Bureau of Indian Education boarding school. Today, Institute Creek burbles past rows of folding chairs. In the park's covered shelter, logs pop and burn in the fireplace. Dozens of people, some wearing beaded regalia or woven cedar hats, gather around a blue pop-up tent. The mood is contemplative. Dear Creator God, thank you for this time together. Former Alaska Native Sisterhood Grand President Frida Westman gives a prayer of invocation. Please protect us. In this moment, please lend your arms around us. Hold us up with your strength. Help us do this for others, each other. Help us remember, help us remember those affected by this place. Bring back your presence here. Across the highway, the former site of the Wrangell Institute buildings is overgrown with alders. Wrangell's Tlingit clans and tribal government host the healing ceremony. Luella Knapp is of Wrangell's Nanya Ayi clan. We're sorry for what happened to you on this land. As children, we didn't know what was happening, and we grew up here. We also suffered. Jocelyn Estes is also Tlingit from Wrangell, a descendant of civil rights leader Tilly Paul Tamari. I just wanted to tell you that my mother was a matron at Wrangell Institute, and I know several of the several of other people here had relatives who worked at the institute. And I'm sorry. I mean, I like to think that. She was a good, you know, I like to think that everybody I knew that worked there was a good person. But now I know that's not true. Shingit storyteller Shaguna Star, Bob Sam, leads the healing ceremony. I'm wearing my regalia. 
because they were taken away from us. And I wanted to wear my regalia on this land of Wrangell Institute so that we could show that we are a living people, that we still know who we are. Sam says he worked as a dorm attendant at another boarding school, Mount Edgecombe, in Sitka. He says he thinks of himself as a good staff member, but he saw things at the school that concerned him. I'm going to ask something that's going to be the hardest thing to do. I'm going to ask you to forgive me, to forgive the staff. Jim LaBelle, whose Nupiak name is Akpayak, spent six years at the Wrangell Institute in the late 1950s and early 1960s. He's spoken out repeatedly about the abuse he endured at the school. One horrifying experience he describes in a letter to a U.S. House committee details a punishment for speaking Alaska Native languages known as the gauntlet. He writes, quote, It became a spectator sport. Little five- and six-year-olds had to disrobe in front of other children who were ordered to hit those running the gauntlet with belts, and as hard as they could, otherwise they were next. When I was forced to run down the line, it was never a single run. It was often two or three times." Unquote. That image stuck with so, Bob Sam. I want to ask you to form these two lines again so that those of us who experienced that, to walk through the two lines in the middle with people holding flowers, and we will walk towards the light, towards the sun. Wrangell Institute is behind us. Rebel stands alone at the end of the lines. At this solemn occasion, I, I'm so grateful for the weather. Uh, because I, I get to wear my clothes this time. In the two parallel lines from the park to the water, healing ceremony attendees hold daisies of pink, yellow, and white. LaBelle and then others slowly walk down the lines of people toward the ocean, shaking hands, giving hugs, collecting flowers. LaBelle is visibly moved. I'm so glad you pulled. You give me courage. You give me strength. Members of the Yech and Ch'ak Shinget Moiris share songs, a part of the ancient culture of balance and reciprocity. The last song is an exit song, sung at the end of an event, the end of a life, the end of an era. As the crowd disperses, laughter floats up from groups chatting across the park. The weight of the Wrangell Institute's legacy is not gone. But it's been lifted just a little. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. After his first ballot initiative to limit cruise traffic was denied by the city, Sitkin Larry Edwards is trying again to put the question out to voters in a special election. This summer, cruise ships brought more than half a million people to Sitka, breaking last year's new record and more than doubling any year before that. And not everyone is happy about it. So what this initiative is about is 
giving uh, Sitkins relief from the high numbers we've had and getting things back to the normal we had back in uh, you know the period of 2001 through 2009 when we had uh, a period of uh, high tourism that was very controversial but was stable and was at a level that was good for business. So I think that's a good place to start for looking at what the right size for cruise tourism is in Sitka. In September, Edwards and over 40 co-sponsors submitted a petition to establish a port district and limit cruise visitors to 240,000 people next summer with weekly and daily limits. If the city's legal department had found Edwards' petition admissible, he would have then collected just over 800 signatures in order to get the question out to voters in a special election this winter. But in late September, his petition was denied. At the time, municipal attorney Brian Hansen said the rejection was based on a few things. Establishing a port district through a voter referendum would not work since the Assembly has authority over allocating public assets like land. He also said the description of how the visitor limits would be enforced was, quote, confusing, misleading, and incomplete. Edwards submitted his second petition to limit cruise traffic to the city clerk's office on October 26th, and much is the same the second time around. It would also cap next year's visitors at 240,000 people, and it would still require city permits for boats to visit Sitka. But instead of creating a port district, the new petition establishes a tourism section of the Sitka General Code. The new ordinance also includes a more fleshed-out enforcement section with fines for boats that exceed their authorized persons ashore. The city has two weeks to respond and to determine whether the petition is valid. So what if it's rejected a second time? We'll have to have a plan B, but uh, as the city attorney said in his rejection letter, he said that the assembly could do what you're trying to do here. So I think the next step is to put the pressure on the assembly and say, do something for us for next year. Should the initiative win approval to move forward, Edwards will have to collect fewer than the 800 signatures that would have been required if the first petition was approved. The number of signatures is based on one-third of voters in the most recent municipal election, and voter turnout was lower in October, meaning Edwards only needs to collect around 550 signatures to make his ballot initiative a reality. For Local News, I'm Julie Hersey.